Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. I've been dropping these episodes at a little slower pace this year, every two weeks instead of once a week, and I'm kind of sorry about that because there are so many great guests ready to share their stories and insights on this little platform I've grown to love. But life be crazy, and try as I might, there's no stopping that. I've always loved the power of story to be a vessel not just for insight, but for connection. During some of the darkest times in my life, I've looked to stories to glean hope or hints or to help me veer away from some of the pitfalls other people hit as they navigated their way through similar traumas or low points. Be assured I found my own pitfalls, but stories, they helped. They helped me feel like I wasn't alone, like this wasn't unbeatable, and like there was some hope for the future. Um, Hope which, I will tell you is worth holding on to. I think in my darkest moments, I didn't actually believe I could be as at peace as I am now. I'm not saying that peace comes without PTSD or without um, some of those challenges, but life is good right now. It's taken me years to understand the courage it takes people to tell their stories. Telling yours when it's laced with trauma or abuse, and especially when there are larger institutions or power structures in the narrative, is no small act of courage. It means standing up to the people who told you to stay small, stay cornered, stay quiet, or to be ashamed for something for which you shouldn't be ashamed. It means facing off against the fear of retaliation or character assassination. Some of the villains in these stories will never tell you that they've heard you speak. Others will hear and not admit it. Yet more will hear and carry on, claiming innocence or spinning another side of the story as we've learnt that narcissists and abusers are so prone to do. Sometimes it's just straight up fabrication, but it is what it is. So, I applaud courage, and they don't come much more courageous than Tia Levings. To say that she's a religious trauma survivor is perhaps reductive. She's gotten through some crazy stuff, so this episode carries a content warning for domestic abuse. But this mama bear found some serious strength within herself, at times when I'm sure she didn't feel like much of a badass. Strength she still exhibits every day as she invests in happiness and writes her story in the hope that other religious trauma survivors or domestic abuse survivors see themselves in it and can navigate a way out. And I think we all know that this is another massive act of courage. I loved listening to Tia speak. She's perhaps one of the most humble people that I've heard. She doesn't uh, stand up as if she's the answer um, to everybody's problems, but gosh, there's wisdom in what she says. I can't wait for her book to come out whenever that may be, but for right now, I've got her on this podcast telling her story of surviving domestic abuse within a religious setting um, and obviously the religious trauma survival aspect of it. So I hope you enjoy this story too. Keep in mind the content warnings. I'm Kit Kennedy, and this is Unchurchable. Tia Levings, we are finally sitting down and doing this podcast interview. (laughs) I'm so proud of us. I know it's hard, like across continents and time, and thanks for being flexible. Oh no! Look, I think we've both had we've both had run, one round of family stuff come up, and I've had mm-hmm. a fresh, brand new lockdown for coronavirus. So, tell me a little bit, bit about you and where you are, and what life is like for Tia Levings, the writer, the survivor, the all of the other hats you wear. <laughs> this is going to be good for me because I'm um, I'm in the middle of 
reducing the word count on my memoir that is underway, that has been underway for about 10 years. Yeah. And um, it's in a final round of edits with a new coach right before I get ready for another round of querying. And yeah. I'm ungrounded right now because I've been in it, in the trenches. So talking yes. a little bit like from an overview is probably yes. going to be like, oh, um. yes, like meditative. <laughs> it's like, because writing's hard, but then writing the, the experiences and then the I had to cut it from 124,000 to 98,000. So the precision involved, it really does take like, I cannot skip sentences or skip parts. I'm really looking, you know, really yeah. narrowly. So um, yeah. it's been a little exhausting. So let me back up. Let me pull away back from that narrow. Um, I live in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm mm -hmm. a mom to five kids. They're mostly grown up. Um, my youngest is still a teenager, but um, I'm at the point where my phasing from active motherhood yeah. to some new undiscovered uncharted territory of what that's going to look ah, like. Yes. That's cool. I call myself a working writer. Um, that, that's the name of my podcast because I, I focus on um, all the ways that like writing is what I can do. It's my, it's yeah. my thing. So mm -hmm. I try to make sure that that's my wheelhouse, my paid wheelhouse, but it's also my hobby and what I do for fun. It's also my therapy and how I hear myself think. So yeah. mm -hmm. words are my, my jam, <laughs> like always. <laughs> Always in the world. I can totally relate to this because I've been a ghostwriter for seven years now. Mm. Um, and it's interesting. You can get so into other people's stories and into kind of forming them and shaping them and culling them. So the 124,000 to 98,000, oof, that, that hurts my soul but I understand it. <laughs> it hurts my soul too and I'm, and I'm a little bit like like difficult about it because yeah. some of my comp titles are over that like for instance wild is 113,000 but I am not Cheryl Strayed and I'm trusting my editor she's like <laughs> this is the industry standard because I've already gone through a round of queries and there was yeah. a snag somewhere yeah. there was a snag and mm -hmm. um and it's not in the topic or the title or the packet or the writing quality it, there's something going on in the in the yeah. way that I have constructed it so yeah um, so yeah. that's good. So I'm a full-time copywriter and, and I'm working on this memoir and I'm heavily entrenched in the religious trauma, um, community because, um, women finding their voice is my passion and it's also my healing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think trauma healing in my life is never going to be over. Mm -hmm. So being in a supportive community is kind of a parachurch that I've created for myself, um, coming out of high control religion. So this is so interesting, a parachurch. Um, I, I like the wording that you've used there because, you know, I too came out of what I phrase as a high control religion, among other things, um, <laughs> and deconstructing all of that without losing your bearings when it comes to spirituality um, or when it comes to actually just engaging with friendships in a trusting kind of way can be real tricky can't it it's been a yeah I've been out for I was excommunicated in 2007 and I left my marriage which was um church sanctioned domestic violence that same year right. um so I've been healing aggressively I would say it's an aggressive healing process I'm a bulldog about it um yep. since then I guess that's 14 years now I just did like a quick like whoa wow. <laughs> and it's not you know that it takes determination and deliberation. This is courageous work. This is not for the faint of heart and neither is writing about it. So what I like to do, because a lot of people 
um, who listen to this podcast may have come from a place of religious trauma or leaving a toxic church or leaving kind of toxic religion, um, I like to start at the end point and say, how are you now? And then backtrack into the guts of it. Uh that's beautiful. Um, because, you know, there could be some content warnings that we need to pop up here. And, oh, yeah. but sure. I see you now in a nice study with a nice mm-hmm. microphone. I see you now with, you know, your hair is washed, you're smiling, you're right. obviously not rocking in a corner, sucking your thumb and whimpering I'm anymore, not. which is. Nor am I, I wearing like a doing. denim jumper or a head covering or anything. <laughs> I can talk. I can talk for myself. You know, like that's that alone is a big deal. Mm -hmm. This is my uh, library and I specifically have them positioned here. Um, goes all the way down the wall. Um, I consider all these books and a lot of them are female writers to be, um, like saints at my back. Yeah. So the presence of the, the words behind me, it gives me writing courage. So that's why. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So, so setting up your space is actually, Mm -hmm intentional i'm an enneagram four and i think that that's part of it um i am very spatial and very artistic and um words are tangible like they Uh they're part they're just so much on my fiber that these are my beloveds and yeah (laughs) i have to have that how i am now that's such a big question um further down the bookshelf i have a prayer corner yeah um but I mean, it's prayer because I'm, I, I don't know where to start with this question. It's funny. <laughs> I did throw you a, a, it's a big one, isn't it? You it's did. I was not expecting to begin at the end. <laughs> also, it's very fluid. I call myself spiritually fluid. I don't and, ever yeah. want to be pegged into a corner where I am around people or think that I myself have the right answers for anything. Yeah. Um, so I stay in a place of curiosity. And mm-hmm. so my quote prayer corner is an exploration corner. It's yeah. Um, I have some tarot over there, crystals, um, a beaded meditation necklace that I made for, um, I had a, the, the first year of my divorce, I had a bead for every significant milestone that happened in my healing that yeah. year. So I meditate with that on and, um, Let's see. I have women who run with the wolves. I call that my new Bible. Uh, yes. <laughs> Mary yes. Oliver, Willa Cather. Um, <laughs> I got a fox. I'm into foxes. Oh my God. Fox wisdom is, I just right. love the fox. Um, okay. Long red hair. That's why long, my hair is red and white. Just. So yeah, it's fox wisdom. long live. We call them rangers in Australia. Oh, the, I don't know why it's probably terrible. It's probably really bad. Gingers. Let's go with gingers. Long live the gingers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. this is this is interesting, and I'll jump into it later on. But like mm-hmm. through um, through my Christian experience, we used to hear um, your body's a temple, your body's a temple, your body's a temple. We never thought about how we set up the altar. You That's know, true. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and a lot of people might think of this as a, a pagan practice to have some kind of visual representations of of what your believing or what you're leaning into or what you're hoping to bring forth in your life it's actually kind of a beautiful thing and I love what you've done with the saints at your back and I love what you've done down the (laughs) other end now I I do note tarot and crystals I know I'm wearing three crystals this is this is my first foray (laughs) into the magic Um, I'm not very good at it I can never remember their names I feel like (laughs) like I like have these pretty rocks and I love them but yeah I don't know I probably don't yeah. do it right but that's okay that's the point there that's is no right point. anymore 
Yeah. So I'm seeing less fear of being wrong. I'm seeing mm-hmm. a little bit of happiness. Oh, I'm yeah. It's all about. So my whole like wheelhouse, like on my Instagram, even it says like I, I'm about life after religious trauma. Yeah. I don't want to stay in the traumatized place or even the working hard place forever. It's about having yeah. like seize the day, live your life. I I want to be here on the 120 year plan. I want to be here for as long as the human body can take me. You know, and yeah. I want to suck the marrow out of life. So yeah, that uh, given I lost. I lost my most vital years, you know, like that was taken from me. Those are life points I'll never get back. Yeah. Um, so it's all about reclamation and yeah. And so you know, seize so, today. So this is you now sucking the marrow out of life now. Yeah. So, okay. Your, your, your youthful years were spent inside high demand religion, high control religion. How old were you when you made your great escape? When I made my, well, you really are working backwards. Damn mm-hmm. woman. Okay. Uh, I was 33. <laughs> I was 33 in the mom of five and I felt 53. I was 32 and about to give birth to my first. Oh my word. <laughs> See, I know which, that's one of the things when I came out, yeah. I met women who like had a whole life while mm. I had had all those people, you know, like <laughs> all those people, <laughs> all those people came from me. <laughs> Oh my gosh. 10 years pregnant and nursing, you oh, know, so, and, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so take me back to the beginning then. What is the tea living story? Ah, uh, so I will say that, um, my, my tarot explorations, my earthy wisdom, my women over there, angels, all the things that I I'm curious about now, the seed of that was all in my early childhood. So if mm-hmm. anything, I feel like my life is um, a bit of a testimony to the power of early childhood development Okay. because my first 10 years, I was raised kind of feral on a farm in the North Michigan woods. And my parents went to church, but they, it was barely part of our lifestyle. Um, I think my, my mother was devout, but she didn't really impose that on us. It was, um, you know, if it was snowing, we didn't go to church. And if Mm -hmm. they had work to do, we didn't go to church. And it was nothing more than a fun thing to do for my whole first uh, nine and a half years. Yeah. Um, And in that time, I was discovering God in the woods, a very fanciful, imaginative, visionary kid. So I feel like I'm picking up now uh, where I left off when yeah. I, when we moved to Florida. So we came to the South American South is a very distinct place. And in the eighties, we joined this giant mega church in Jacksonville, uh, fundamentalist Baptist. Wow. And it was, it was kind of light on the fundamentalism then because um, the Southern Baptist convention had not yet politicized fully. Right. The seeds were in place in the eighties, uh-huh. but they hadn't yes. fully mechanized yet. So um, it was just a big church to go have fun and like have this part of your lifestyle and be a quote, good Christian family. Yeah. Um, but that whole experience, the culture shock of moving from a cold climate to a hot climate uh, from an outside 80 acres to the city. Um, and then this into this like absorbing church at like, we had to be there six days a week and twice on Sunday. Uh, it was complete culture shock for me on every like cataclysmic shock yeah. Yeah, really gosh. was. Wow. So yeah, so that, that was the big catalyst. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about in my book how I really believe high demand religion grooms domestic violence and grooms a lack of mental health and it nurtures it. Um, that definitely started right away. So the, the suppression and repression um, yeah. 
conditional this, love. Go mm, ahead. This is important, I think, and I'd like to kind of stay here for a while because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, groom's mental illness, that toxic positivity um, created, sure created in me um, mm -hmm. this whole area that I wasn't able to express. Uh-huh. Which then kind of meant, and for a lot of people, I think they've found that coming out of church, they need to work on some embodiment stuff because they're being so cut off oh, yeah. from the way they feel. And it's almost like you can feel like you're observing your life and not participating in it in a way. So that this is a oh. whole juggernaut. And PTSD seems yeah. to be the great parting gift that people it, it get really from, from toxic religion. So, so what was this like for you? And, you know, what do you mean when you say grooming mental illness and the other thing which well, I've forgotten already? It's a lot of things. It's the toxic positivity and it's also the undiagnosed depression. Yeah. Um, that the, the the effects of suppressing your feelings and what that does in the body. Um, the disconnection you feel from your senses and your body at the same time being sold a gaslit message of what happiness is and what you'll be promised if you like purity culture, the whole years of purity culture really set women up, you know, to be frigid or all kinds of things. Like I, that's a huge subject all by itself, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, I mean, like <laughs> there's so much suffering involved, true suffering. Yeah. Um, for me, I got sick right away. I was sick as a child. As soon as we moved here, Interesting. um, as a mother, I know now I was depressed, but then it was always, and we see it so frustrated because the doctors would say it's all in your head and they weren't entirely wrong. It wasn't that I was imagining it or making it up, but it truly was a psychosomatic thing happening in my body. Yeah. Um, and it just stayed with me for yeah. always. Like I still battle it. And then parallel, this is so funny you bring this up because um, all this weekend I've been like, on my soapbox a little bit about photography. I latched onto photography really young and very compulsively. Yes. Really? <laughs> and then the internet came, you know, of age at, yeah. you know, well, I was a mom when that happened, but um, the camera allows you to have a layer of distance and see things through a lens so that it's safe. But at the same time, you're creating evidence for memories you probably aren't even going to remember being in because you're disembodied because you're disassociated. I'm, so you have these pictures like, oh, look what we did. And look how my yeah. children look at me and look who loves me. And I can't remember any of it because I was gone. Not there. I'm laughing. Not because it's funny, but mm -hmm. because that's my kind of fucked up way of relating to things that are just so true. <laughs> just mm -hmm. so, so true. Right. I took up photography in my 20s. Um, which was at the height of my, I think, um, mental, well, my height, the height of my walk with PTSD. Um, and I took it up to create a layer of distance mm -hmm. <laughs> between me and other people so I could get away from conversations I didn't want to be part of. Oh, I've just, I've just seen something I don't want to take a photo of. And mm -hmm. it was meditative for me in a way because I could distance myself and I could observe a moment or I could observe a thing. But you're right, it, it actually helps your brain connect the dots and go, no, I remember what was happening there because the experience mm -hmm. of memory, um, yeah, is, is a really interesting thing. It's, it's um, well, psychological research tells us it's hella complicated, um, yeah. the, the whole memory thing, but also it's really interesting what you were saying. It's all in your head is a sentence that I just hate so much. 
because people use it to play down mm-hmm. uh, trauma. Um, but actually everything is in your head. Your, your brain runs everything. You right. know, your experience of life is in your head. The, the, the triggers for hormones and for, for muscle movement and for the way exactly. that we live and breathe and move throughout our day, it all, it's all in our head. It literally all is. It is. So that's real. That is, is so freaking real. And the and, body's keeping the score the whole time, oh, you know, I, and it's I, bracing and it's flinching and it's, you know, the anxiety yeah. and cortisol, cortisol stressed up, you know, stored up in your body, oh. takes a toll, inflammation. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So that started for you in childhood. Yes, right away. Um, deeply sensitive person. Um, like I said, Enneagram for um, dreamer, thinker, feeler. Yep. But I was also being told I wasn't those things. And I more heavily believed the external voices that told me about me than what I trusted about myself. And I'm highly wow. intuitive. So I shut all that down and buried myself so deeply that it's just taken a really long time to feel okay, you know, find what I am and then be okay with who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So that process of rediscovery of yourself, like, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously you, your children are are grown now and to, to lose a marriage, um, which I can relate to, but different, um, you know, you had to deal with a domestic violence um situation i i was married to a gay conversion therapy survivor so we've got a beautiful we've got a beautiful partnership um even though we're not married anymore but um you always marvel at um, amicable partings (laughs) they're like proof there's a god to me like that's It's a miracle. It's, I can't relate at all, but well, <laughs> I'm happy it's, for a, you. it's a different thing because uh, I think, in a way, um, my ex husband and I, and I hate calling that because he's my best mate, but you know, mm-hmm. just don't ever want to have sex with him again. Yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs> he's, you know, he's gay. Um, yeah. And I'm so proud of him and so affirming of him mm-hmm. and definitely walking with him while he, we deconstructed our faith side by side, not in the same way because we were married. He was like, oh, no, I, I don't think I'm straight. I, I don't think I'm cured. I think maybe I'm bisexual. And then somebody said to me, mm, is it bi now, gay later? And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, it, it was in this case. And I know there's a lot of bi erasure when it comes to mm-hmm. um, whether or not bisexuals exist. They do. They do. Yeah, and I, I affirm so. that here in yeah. Pride Month, but that wasn't the case for us. Um, but there was an element of trauma bonding um, in, in that we had survived something so profound together. We had weathered something so profound. Um, mm-hmm. So there was an element of care that we could extend to each other beyond our marriage um, and an element of friendship that we could extend beyond our marriage, um, which is really nice. But um, domestic violence. Well, I married who God sent. You know, oh, so mm. I, I was groomed to accept whoever came yeah. and um, early fast engagements were um, encouraged. Yeah. Um, narcissists and psychopaths are very charming in the beginning. Um, oh, so gosh, I was swept off my feet. And uh, <laughs> so I walked into it young, naive, trusting. Um, I saw red flags, but I was trained to, to interpret red flags as something that needed to be fixed or that what yeah. God could work on. God, God can fix that because anything mm. can happen with God. And um, I trusted I would learn to love him and 
and yeah. it was, you know, this was God's will. Um, right. The abuse started before the wedding. I did not know how to, you know, uh, tell anyone. I didn't know how to yeah. tell anyone. I didn't know how to shut it down. I didn't actually know what was happening. I did not know I was a battered woman until after I left him because he Oof. never punched me in the face. And in my mind, that was what abuse was. Yeah. So all the psychological, sexual, physical violence that I endured for all those years, I found ways to rationalize or just suffer in shock from because I did not have language for it. There was a time in 2004 when I tried to tell um, it got very, very, very bad um, when he moved into Federalist marriage. Um, we were in deep covenantal cult at life at that point. Um, and I tried to tell a church counselor exactly what was happening. And his answer was, well, you just need to honor him more. And that's the only human being I had been completely frank with and vulnerable with. And to be shut down like that it was devastating. Yeah. Um, and kept me there for another three years. So it truly, it had to come down to till death do you part. Like I, he was going to kill me and I had to leave by midnight with my children. It was like a hostage thing. So it was very, very dramatic. Yeah. Could have been prevented with some support, you know, but we didn't have any. Yeah. So, so what is fe Federalist marriage? Federalist marriage. So I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Doug Wilson's work. No, uh, Sovereign no. Grace, um, Idaho. He's in Moscow, Idaho. Oh. Um, and he's part of the Covenant Reformed tradition, which is like a split off of the PCA, Prez Church. Okay. So we had moved from the Baptist Church. After I got married, we went to a Reformed Baptist, and then that wasn't good enough. So then we went to Presbyterianism. Yeah. And then after Presbyterianism, we went to Covenantal Presbyterianism. Okay. Yep. And that, by the time we got there, mm. they do it's the most fundamentalist, suppressive, tight, closed group, legalistic group you can imagine. And, um, and Doug Wilson's materials were the entry point for that. We had gone from, uh, there's a homeschooling group here called um, Vision Forum and Doug Phillips. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> from there, we went to Doug Wilson's materials. Like these are stepping stones that yeah. we, we went from Bill Gothard to Doug Phillips to Doug Wilson <laughs> to the covenant reform and and then i was excommunicated because i blogged i wouldn't i would not put my writing in my husband's name and i blogged about mary the mother of god wow <laughs> so it was a journey <laughs> you've just named like just so so many things i don't even know <laughs> that is the reason for the book right there yeah. is the reason for the book because they're connected yeah, they're a spiral. They are influencing our elections right now. I wasn't allowed to vote all those times. You know, we have these close elections. Take all the Christian women out. Now you have a close election because, you know, numbers are down. Um, wow. Yeah, that's Ooh. why I'm writing the book. <laughs> okay, so there, there is just so much in there for me to wrap my head around. Dominionism is one of my big hates. Yeah. That it's that um uh and if they're in the background noise i'm gonna have to tune out is rain ah, oh. it's raining in australia Yay. how beautiful um one of the things that really spiked my deconstruction was i was writing a book for escapism and it was remnant theology which mm. at the time i was identifying with a persecute like with that persecution complex that you, you mm -hmm. inherit sometimes in church and, you know, I think remnant theology is great for people who are actually persecuted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but 
And Christians aren't. Right. And they just Especially like to- modern American, white, middle-aged cis people are not, not. <laughs> getting they're beheaded and losing everything they have not. because for their faith. No. Yeah. Syrian right. Christians exactly. persecuted, you know, like right. um, LGBT Christians persecuted. Mm-hmm. People are dying yeah, because people, of those worldviews. Exactly. Right. But it yeah. does not belong on the shoulders of these white cisgender middle class, mm-hmm. you know, the, the nuclear families <laughs> headed by men who, you know, benefit. Get really upset of- if they have to hear a woman talk. Persecution. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So dominionism to me, like I was writing this book. It's literally called The Remnant, and it's been taken from shelves now. You won't find it anywhere. But. Um, uh-huh. It was a fiction novel and when I started to write the second one and started to write the fruits of dominionism, like what happens when we reclaim these seven mountains of society, what Mm. I was seeing was not peace. It was not equitable distribution of, you know, Mm. food and resources. It was not protection of women and minorities. It was not heaven on earth. And then I actually have to say that, and this is, lame for me to say as a an Australian but watching the the, the Trump siege mm-hmm. from you know thank my, you for calling it a siege that's <laughs> what it felt like <laughs> that made me on a visceral you know somatic body level feel ill yeah um yeah. it was a real breaking point for me I watching Christians defend that after bleeding bleeding for them, to, believing that they would stand against everything that he claimed and participated in. Mm-hmm. It was a real, it was a, and it was complete trigger to what I had been living through because yeah. that, that mindset, like this, the narcissistic personality disorder and the borderline personality disorder and the untreated mental illness. And like, it was literally on Twitter every day. And I was like, this is the same guy. This Preach, is the same yeah. thing because mm-hmm. they are the same. Yeah. Like when you have those, those personality traits, represented the same way and same guy. And I have so many friends where I'm like, are we married to the same man? Yeah. You no, know, they just yeah. all have the same untreated illness and yeah. they've been raised to think that they're gods. Yeah. And he's their fatted calf for sure. Golden <laughs> pants on back. The golden front? fatted calf. With, huh? <laughs> with his pants on back the front. I- oh, sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, are you referring to the Jerry Falwell Junior photo with his pants down. That was real rich. I just I know a lot I just, to say about that one too. I just walked into my convenience store the other day and there was this thing playing about how just does Trump have his pants on back the front in this? And then I was like, oh my gosh, if I walked into the twilight zone, like, hey, are we still talking about Trump? Like he's been banned from social media, he's not in office, he's irrelevant. Oh no, but, but he has told his people that he's gonna be back in office in August. So whatever is happening in that subculture that is no longer so visible because they don't have a channel to be in the mainstream they still believe what they believe and yeah i still see like i know people that are still like oh god bless trump and we love his america i saw it just today on facebook today so he was at near mar-a-lago and mar-a-lago and can i just say for for those people who do see this stuff coming up on their facebook feed and can find it triggering as heck Mm -hmm. the unfollow button the right. unfriend button, make yourself friends with it. It does wonders for mental illness. <laughs> it does. You know, it took that whole presidency for me to get to that point, though. Really? I was so um, hooked on being a bridge. I wanted to be oh. a bridge between people, and I feel I still felt they could be reasoned with. The Capitol broke everything. When the Capitol happened, 
That was like, boom, boom, boom. I'm unfollowing everybody. I'm not your fucking bridge. I'm not going to help you understand. If you think the Capitol's okay, I don't even want to talk to you. But it took that whole presidency for me to get to that point. And I think that is more Christian um, conditioning in me to be a peacemaker and to just, I try so hard to be understood and understand everyone's viewpoint and hold space for everyone to be truly inclusive. But there's too much hate. Yeah. No, let me let me just nerd out for a second because um, before but earlier in the conversation you said about how depression and mental illness showed up in your body and, and we talked about the it's all in your head thing and now you've used this buzzword Christian conditioning mm. and and I think it's vitally important to talk about because and I'm, I'm going to get nerdy because I'm currently studying a postgrad in neuropsychology oh awesome um, so which oh. is oh it, it does but there was this <laughs> there was this one unit let me tell you. I just moved away from my hometown. I was just out of the mire of all of the drama around my dad's church and and my family. And I was like, oh, I'm safe. And it was like my nervous system went, oh, girl, you can relax for the first time in perhaps decades. Mm -hmm. And um, then I kind of like, I was like, okay, all right, I can relax for the first time in decades. And then the trauma came up like a wallop. And I was tired and certain things would make me feel like, and I was working on embodiment. I was working on learning that it's okay to follow your gut feeling. And even if it's different to what somebody else is telling you, I was learning how to reclaim my own decision-making and stuff like that. And then this unit, uni came up and it was, it set me off so bad because what it, what it was, it was a couple of, experiments that they ran early on in um in the history of psychology and one was the ash conformity studies basically they got four actors in a room and one actual study participant and they showed two lines on a wall and asked everyone the same question which line is longer and they'd go along and the four actors would answer it wrong and then the study was to see what happened with the fourth the fifth person And what they saw was conformity time and time after Mm -hmm. again. And I watched that and thought, you know, but when it's not complete strangers and when you're not being just asked the length of a line, when it's adults, when it's people in authority, when it's, you know, your family and you're being asked to silence your story or to shut up about abuse, conformity takes on a whole different like when you can be stripped of community if you don't conform like so that study actually made me throw up seeing that study actually it's gonna make me cry I'm like I I, (laughs) and I I, I, time traveling I'm time traveling yeah Yeah. and the other one was stupid Pavlov's dog and we've all heard about Pavlov's dog the dog Mm -hmm. because usually we salivate when we smell food that's what our bodies are meant to do but mm-hmm. Pavlov conditioned his dog to salivate at the sound of a ringing bell. Um, Christian conditioning can actually mean that we have these body reactions mm-hmm. to things that are familiar. And Christian conditioning is hella hard to work through. It really is. Because it's, it doesn't it's deep. nestled deep within the nervous system and that purity culture deep within the nervous system you you try being in a relationship after you've Mm -hmm. left a marriage and feel okay with 
attraction or, you know, being turned on or whatever. Yes. And, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I um, was in my first marriage, I was never, we never had any sexual attraction. Yeah. And I had five children, but we had sex maybe once a year. And wow. four of my children were conceived on a birth control method. I was, I wanted <gasps> my children. I really feel like I manifested them. I yeah. wanted them, yeah. but I did, I was actively trying not to have them as close together yeah. and, and at all sometimes because we, we were so miserable. We were so yeah. miserable. But, and one of our babies had a really serious heart defect and died in yeah. infancy. Well, so it was, it was, a, there was a lot of things happening. Yeah. And I did not know what it was like to be touched by someone I was attracted to or loved mm at all. And when yeah. I was 33 years old and I'm going on a date with someone I actually had chemistry with, I didn't know what to do. It was like completely foreign, yeah. very, very discombobulating experience of yeah. body familiarity. And like, it was like being in puberty again, because I right. had shut all that down in puberty. Like, yeah. you, don't, you don't even feel your feelings in puberty when you're a Christian. So um, yeah, I, I can relate to that pretty, pretty significantly. <laughs> I, I, um, I think I've gone on like 22 first dates. Uh, <laughs> and each time I've gone, nope, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> just freaked the fuck out of there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so that's something I'm working on, guys. That's uh, mm -hmm. that's that's complete honesty there. I uh, I still, purity culture is still very deeply rooted yeah. in, inside that Christian conditioning. Head. It does. And the it, shame. It, yeah. It yeah. really messes with your head. But this bridge building reflex that you talked about there about yeah. being a peacemakers what would you tell someone like you now who is feeling the pressure or the burden to build a bridge between them and a problematic group or a friend yeah. in a problematic group or a family member in a problematic group what would you tell them it really comes down to me with um what your mental health is like in that process okay. because one of my passions is that we are consumable and we do not get to be consumed by someone else's agenda. So we don't have to be martyrs to the faith. We don't have to be martyrs to social justice. We do not have to consume ourselves with something that is not reciprocating and giving us health. So I try to speak where I can. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of provocative in all the groups that I go to. Like I've always been, my best friend is gay. So I've always been very pro-gay, yeah. even though that wasn't language until like the last 10 years for me. Yeah, right. Um, and there's plenty of people that are scandalized that I do that, you know, it's like, I'm sorry you're scandalized. But what I tell people now <laughs> is, you know, like it comes to boundaries. It's like, how is this, if this, if it's hurting you, stop, someone else will be the missionary. You do not have to be that, that person, take care yeah. of yourself and keep yourself whole. And then organic sharing will happen where it can. Yeah. Um, but I'm not out to change anybody anymore. Yeah. There's no, there's no evangelism in me at all. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, you do you basically, yeah. I'm like, you want to be that way? You go over there. I'm yeah. over here. Um, if you're now, if the difference is, and I do get in trouble for this often, um, if I see harm happening, like active harm, I get involved. I <laughs> can't have a hard time. Like, like I've, I witnessed domestic violence in the street once and I, went ape shit on the guy and my kid was with me and he was like, mom, I was afraid you were going to get hurt. And it was so reflexive for me to make him yeah. get off of her that I, I wasn't thinking it was like yeah. a reflex. So clearly yeah. I still have work to do in that area of, you know, 
restraint, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but not yes. if I'm seeing a guy beat on a woman, like I'm not going to no. look the other way. So yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So boundaries mm. that is, and recognizing your own mental health, mm-hmm. how, uh, how, yeah, your own, your own capacity in the moment. How, how do you work on that? How do you recognize that in, rather than work on? Because I think recognition That's, is as important as anything else in the beginnings of the healing stages. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I'm fierce about my, my health now. I'm, I'm very, very fierce. I was, um, I got very sick at like when you were talking about how the trauma, you got away from it. And that's when it, that's when it comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happened to me about three years after I left the violence, thought life was going really well. was preparing mm-hmm. to get married again on my feet as a single mom. Mm-hmm. I got super sick, super, wow. super, super sick. And they diagnosed me with MS and I lost part of my vision and oh my I had gosh. these debilitating headaches and like every physical symptom that could come out of a body came out of me. And I was sick for a few years and um, went to all the testing and all the you know stuff. And they could not definitively say MS isn't a test that they can test for. <laughs> they just look for patterns yeah. and um, calcific lesions on your, your, uh, myelin shakes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I had that, I had the, I have the lesions, but I had this like true, like just inner knowing that this was trauma mm. coming out of me and that if I could heal the trauma, I would heal my symptoms. So I switched gears yeah. and I went whole hog into trauma therapy. So EMDR brain spotting, lots of therapy, um, every, every modal that you can think of I've tried. Um, multiple therapy appointments a week. And I, and I just became a bulldog for my own health. So to answer that question, I ask that every day, I'm still in a 12 step group. I still have a sponsor. I still have a therapist. Um, and I check in with myself constantly, like, Mm. and I have to, because I'm, I'm fighting for myself because I want my life. Yeah. I don't, I have general anxiety. I have PTSD. I'm going to have that for my life, you know, and the only way you solve those things is by diligence and yeah. fierce self-care fierce saying self-care. no. And I'm not, yeah. I still have a lot of long way to go on saying no to things or uh, holding the boundary, holding the boundaries, the hardest part of boundaries because <laughs> I'm a people pleaser. So uh, there's a lot of work right there. That's, yeah. that's my, probably my biggest area of working right now is I can't stand, I can't stand it when people are disappointed in something I've done <laughs> or if I can't be there for them. Um, I, I yeah. was that kid. You did not ever need to smack me or put me in timeout. You just mm. needed to tell me you were disappointed. Yeah. And those that, are powerful words. Yeah. And that's yeah. freaking devastating for a kid like mm. me. So, so now when I'm raising my own kids and I, I see that same kind of thing in my son, like I don't ever say I'm disappointed. I, I have to say I have to call out the good in him and mm-hmm. but also kind of go, well, but what you did wasn't okay, you know, stuff like that. But um talking about okay so because yeah ptsd that's a parting gift that a lot of us get Mm -hmm. um and a lot of people go okay well i've been through trauma i may have ptsd for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. um is that as doomy as it sounds is there improvement that you can expect um what's your experience of that and recognizing that everyone is different, I suppose, but you said you've gone hardcore into your own healing. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think 
that's depends on the most on support and what your environment is like and how much autonomy and agency you have to create the yeah. environment that you need. Um, when you don't have very much personal power, it's hard to be vigilant about your health. Um, yeah. I'm an introvert. So I say I shut things down quite a bit. I have a cocoon. My space is super important to me. Yeah. Um, and I will hole up, you know, when I need to. Um, I do kind of have hope that there will be kind of cures for PTSD yeah. because yes. there's so much trauma work happening right now. There's therapists that are being specifically trained in it. There's so much actual brain research happening. Yeah. And I feel like that there, there's definitely at least the stigma is being released. Like when I was growing up, you couldn't even say you had, like you couldn't say mental illness without it being awful. And anxiety was a horrible thing to talk about. And now we can talk about it openly and, yeah. you know, yeah. use the hashtag every day. So yes, <laughs> yes exactly. And EMDR is one of those new, um, like, which is eye movement desensitization Reprogramming, yeah. reprogramming, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then so, brain spotting is. E I don't know if you know that one, but it's that's EMDR on like hyperdrive because where EMDR you deal with an individual memory, and yeah, you're clicking and you're going back and forth. Brain spotting locates where it's stored, and it's like a rolodex of memories in your brain, and you oh. go through a whole bunch of them at one time. That it's is very exhausting, but it is so successful. Wow, you rewrite how those memories played out in your brain yeah yeah yep. goodness now you said something really important that you said about setting up your space yep. or about making sure that you had the space to heal um and you talked about agency I think you've hit on two vitally important things there because what um and again I'm going to default to the the, the neurology here you, mm -hmm. your autonomic nervous system which governs all of your um automatic you know, things that happen in your body, breathing, heart rate, sweating, hormones, cortisol. Um, mm -hmm. It's got two sides. Um, rest, digest, repair, reproduce is, is the parasympathetic side. The other side is the sympathetic side, fight or flight. It is, um, and, you know, the prefrontal cortex where we think and reason, not important mm -hmm. in the sympathetic mm -hmm. stuff. It's all brainstem. It's all your fear reactive brain. Can you enforce boundaries when you're frozen? Can you enforce boundaries when what you want to do is just get out of there and run? You can't do that. Um, and because because you're in you're in your survival mechanism. So one key for me with my PTSD was actually recognizing fast when mm -hmm. I'd switched from right. parasympathetic to sympathetic. It was in going, okay, how fast am I breathing right now? And I would have to check in often. Do I have an elevated breathing rate? Do I have an elevated pulse rate? Can I taste metal in my mouth? Um, because oh, that's good. That for me was the taste of, you know, that first adrenaline kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, my then husband, he also recognised that my eyes would dart around. I'd be looking for escapes because mm -hmm. for me, one of those things was rooms that I couldn't get out of, one of those oh, triggers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Um, he still picks me up when my eyes start to dart around a little bit um, because in those moments, this mm -hmm. fierce, independent, intelligent, 
woman who runs her own own household budget with no help from anybody else on three days work a week, who is a great mum and who's a great student and all of these things I'm so proud of. If you ask Mm -hmm. me whether I want a drink, I won't know what to tell you. So um, because you you kind of revert. Um, So like for me, recognising what it felt like to be in a stress response was was one thing mm-hmm. that made me realise, okay, I need to actually go be in another room right now and just silently come back to myself and um, calm down. And then because yeah. I, I can't make choices, I can't heal when I'm in a stress state, nobody can. Um, and another thing, my beautiful well-paid and well-worth it therapist. Um, God bless them. <laughs> I love them. Oh, there was so much shame around therapy growing up because faith, mm. I can move a mountain, you know, all that right. stuff, <laughs> all that toxic positivity. Um, she helped me recognise small choices, you know. Did mm. you want to order Uber Eats or did you want to go to a cafe? It's a choice and you've made it. Did mm-hmm. you want to buy a, a poster for your wall, yes or no. It's a choice mm-hmm. and you've made it. And, you know, because I had to, like, really step back to the beginning and learn to trust my choices again. And that, mm-hmm. w- that was a way to do it. Um, you know, you chose which cafe to go to. Did you like your lunch? Yes or no? No. Did it matter? No. And it would work up from there. And it seems so freaking basic, but when you've been in a high yeah. demand group um, mm-hmm. or when you've been in, and I'm sure you'd relate to this, an abusive situation, mm-hmm. individual choice is really stripped away and, you know. Oh, it and, is. And you're yeah. groomed to defer, always defer to what, what someone else in the room wants. Mm. So you just shut down what your own thought is. Like, yeah. I didn't know what I liked. Yeah. Too no, many yeah. choices will shut me down so fast. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> my favorite um, way to, to like regroup if I, cause my, what I start doing is I talk really fast. I start like my, my speech will pick up really quickly. Yeah. Um, I'll sit down on the ground. Okay. I just sit down and I ground. I like literally ground, especially yeah. if I can be outside or bare feet, I need to touch the planet, but yeah. Um, the, the regular floor will work in that kind of stress too. It's just yeah. sit your butt down on the floor and feel yeah. the planet. And you're safe. Yeah. Being safe is a big thing. Um, I still, you know, I have my things that I will not do because they're triggers, but yeah. um, yeah. And that is fine. People need to know that is fine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, uh, and, and, you know, some people kind of listening to this might go, oh, Kit, you didn't seem like you were not empowered to make your choices when you were in that group. And that's not about, that's not what conformity is about. It's it's not like, I, I had the power to choose where I went to lunch when I was in that group. I had the power to choose various different things, but the 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 mechanism to conform was so deeply rooted that what we're doing is reprogramming that from the ground up, um, that that you have choices, you have to take small I really steps to reprogram like it. that. I was... Um... Because I'm a, because I can be a strong personality and I'm mm-hmm. redheaded and I s- just stick out. I don't fit in really anywhere. People in my past would probably have described me as headstrong, yeah, and stubborn and assertive, and it would probably surprise them that I felt so much pressure to conform. But you're absolutely right. When you're like those are skills you're supposed to learn at like four and five years old, yeah. and I didn't learn them as a small child. And in fact, I learned the counter of that. I was most pleasing when yeah. I could blend in 
And that blending mm-hmm. in was actually essential to my worth. So yeah. that it, it, it goes to remediation and those simple choices because you have to exercise that muscle yeah. at that little basic level where there's no threat yeah. to, to choosing wrong. You're not going to yeah. decide wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you have to be able to look at that choice and go, that was a choice. I made a mm-hmm. choice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so obviously you, you have made some big choices for yourself. I have, um, and the and uh, it's getting better every day. It's getting better every day. <laughs> you chose, you chose your own husband. I did choose my own husband, and he's older than me. Um, he's natural and earthy, and a soulmate. At today is actually the anniversary of when we met. June eighth is Ooh. a very significant day for us. Happy anniversary! Um, <laughs> yeah, and I did. I chose my own husband. I chose my own uh, career. Um, I fought hard to, I had full custody of my kids after the divorce. So I fought really hard to have them parented the way that I wanted, made a ton of mistakes, so many mistakes. Um, Mm -hmm. We went right back into a a fundamentalist mindset parenting support group afterwards. So it took me, (laughs) I had to learn that just because you leave the fundamentalist group doesn't mean you've left fundamentalist thinking and you can fall into that in any group. I mean, I know, I know liberal groups that are fundamentalists, like, yeah. You're just doing the same thing. You can see that on Instagram all the time. You can see like, especially in the religious trauma community, there'll be people <laughs> who are so anti-religion that they're being fundamentalist about their anti-religion. It's like, Oh, hundred percent. Cut yeah. it out. That's, that's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's dogma. It's just showing up in a different way. Right. Um, yeah. Gosh, you're so right. So, so parenting that's yeah. Wow. Oof. That's a journey. Cause Often, well, you would have been parenting children who were the same age you were when some of these key milestones were mm-hmm. being missed. Um, Motherhood is what saved my life. And it's what saved me. To, it helped me get out of there. I would not raise my daughter to be um, a fundamentalist homeschooler that, you know, with her uterus falling out at 22. I yeah. would not do it. No. I, I would. And so, and I would not raise my sons to be the, that kind of thinker. It was, yeah. um, my oldest was 10. Mm-hmm. when I left and um, I could see, I could see him becoming that way, you know, that closed minded way. And, and it wasn't going to happen. And if, if for and no other reason, I really believed I'm accountable for these people. I brought them into the world. They didn't ask to be born yeah. and I'm accountable for their upbringing. And I wasn't going to let what happened to me happen to them. Yeah. Um, I had to shield them from that. Yeah, that is powerful because, you know, I remember having Abby Norman, another author, um, pop on the podcast to talk about parenting post-deconstruction. And she said, you know, we as women so often will accept crumbs for ourselves, mm-hmm. but we will not accept crumbs for our children. And often that is the saving grace of, of people. I The day we found out that I was pregnant for the fifth time, I had four mm-hmm. miscarriages, oh. that was the day that my husband knew we had to get out and it took me I fought I fought but it was like mm-hmm. my body knew you're getting out it's okay yeah to keep this yeah. baby and um you know because we just desperately wanted children we've got two beautiful demanding emotional <laughs> terrorists no <laughs> <laughs> you're in an intense time or <laughs> it's it's the long grass sister it's the yeah. long grass um yeah but there's been you know it's 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 a, it's a big time um so it, you'd be parenting your, your children intentionally mm-hmm. a different way to what you were being parented. But also you said before you didn't realize how 
toxic your situation was until you were out of it? Uh, as far as labeling it with the violence, yeah. I knew it was killing me. I knew that I hated it. Um, yeah. I constantly argued with whatever God there was that like, why did you, why did you bother having women? I felt invisible and interchangeable and there was no purpose to me being a unique creature because, you know, get a hook or get a maid. You can swap yeah. me out. Like yeah. there's no reason for me to be here. Um, yeah. But I did not know. I had no education, no sex education, no, no marriage education, nothing, no language for that. And I was isolated and cut off from the world. So I knew that it hurt. And, it, and I knew that I wasn't willing to die for it. And it, and it got to that point, like it had to come become life or death for me to say, uh, uh, I, I can't go that far. And, um, but yeah. I didn't know a language. My, my attorney handed me a book called the battered woman. It's like from the sixties. <laughs> and I was like, I don't need that. And he goes, read it. You're going to see yourself in the pages. And I was like, no, he's never punched my face. He had done it literally everything else to me, but he yeah. had not punched my face. Just and face. that's just how naive I was. It's just, I, you know, didn't think battering physical yeah. violence or domestic violence could involve everything else, everything else. I had rationalized it all. Yeah. Which is a self-protection reflex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think a lot of people go, um, okay, there's, there's some things that I don't feel okay about with my church. Some things mm -hmm. I don't feel okay about. I need to get out of this, but it's not that bad. And then they'll have this moment of, oh, God, and the bubble pops. Yeah. And then I think that there's this whole five stages of grief. Like you try to, you know, you try mm -hmm. denial, you try bargaining, you try anger, you know, you go through the depression and all before you come to acceptance. But I'd argue that rationalisation is part of denial. Um, mm -hmm. And I... I guess, and, and this is the, the part where a lot of people go, not doing organised religion again, not doing faith again. Maybe some people will go to atheism. And you know what? I affirm people's choice to, mm -hmm. you know, to go the way of atheism. It would be easier for me if I could do that. I feel yeah, a little jealousy too. some days. And, and, let me, <laughs> and let me tell you, Mondays before my coffee, there is no God, but right? that's almost like a religious experience. Every, yeah. and I, and I Body and blood right there. <laughs> 100%. Amen, sister. Um, you know, so uh, like in my journey with deconstruction, atheism isn't the way for me. Um, mm -hmm. I also don't like calling God God because mm -hmm. it conjures up a pit picture of a vindictive white man in the sky who cares to an unreasonable amount about whether or not I'm mm. abiding by purity culture and whether or not I hate refugees and don't think that climate change exists. Um, that's not God to me. What mm. you said about earthing, about actually touching the planet, it's mm -hmm. a spiritual practice because that's a yeah. divine. And I changed my, my whole words too. I, I call God the mother. Yeah. Instead of God the Father, I say yeah. God the Mother. Um, I say Goddess. I yeah. Um, I'm psychic and I'm intuitive and I'm yeah. a seer. So I know there's spirit. Yeah. But I, it's mystery, and that yeah. is the whole point. If yeah. we knew exactly what it was, it wouldn't be a deity. <laughs> there would right? be, you know, like we're the deity right. if we know it all. So yes. yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. That's a. <laughs> That's a whole thing. We're the deity if we think we know it all. Yeah. Yep. 
gosh, I'm, I'm going to think about that. That's going to be, and I was looking at the clock going, yeah, it's about time to wrap that up. And then you drop that bomb on me. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are a couple other little gems I've kept back to. And I was like, oh no, you can't say that one this late in the interview. So. Oh yeah. Don't okay. no, say, say a thing. <laughs> a spoiler. I, don't, I, I don't care. So I, I just like, so who you are now, um, far more empowered, far mm-hmm. more embodied, far more aware of the recovery that is left to happen but not waiting for it to be over and the healing to be done before you make your mark on the planet and before you do your Mm -hmm. thing and that is beautiful that is powerful um we don't have to wait until the trauma has magically dissipated from ourselves nor can we like I'm not sure there's an end point end to that. I feel yeah. like um, people don't heal in isolation. Yeah. Um, there is no waiting for the magic day. I spend enough time in my life waiting, and yeah. um, I like to say I'm an imperfect person who sometimes makes mistakes. Yeah. And it's I'm okay with that. I yeah. I would rather try than not, and and that's that's what I'm gonna do. I mean, yeah. Why else am I here? So. Yeah. So writing has been massive catharsis for you. Yeah. And, but also it seems to me like you haven't written this book so that you can get your story on paper and have people go, wow, your life is so messed up. It's come from a place of um, helping women find their voice, helping people yeah. have that light bulb moment. I um, have, um, well, a big part of me is, is, very convicted that I I know the truth of what my experience was and mm-hmm. I get to say it from my point of view. Yeah. But I write it to um, an imaginary woman who is like me, who was in her kitchen, mm-hmm. who's going to pick a book up. She can't ask for help. She can't go externally out, but she might see some piece of her experience yeah. in it and get to her own freedom. And so I kind of pray to her and talk to her while I'm writing because I really <sighs> do feel like I like I've been working on it for 10 years. I really do feel like it's going to come down to timing and, Mm -hmm. and however many, like wherever it goes in its publishing path, it's meant for a specific person. And we'll see, like, I want to spread them the net as wide as possible, obviously, um, because I think the stuff needs to come out, but um, also hope, you know, I lived through it and I came out a a stronger person. Um, which is not to say that it was meant to be. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just know that I have found a lot of strength from other people sh- telling their, their truth and their yeah. stories. And we say things out loud and we bring it out of the shadows. We dissipate mm-hmm. the negative energy and the power that it had. So that's, yeah. that's really what I'm hoping to do. Because silence, silence is the monster under the bed. It is. Know. It is. And it empowers the, the perpetrator. Yeah. hundred percent. Now, Something something that I think is important to talk about at this stage of the podcast is personal safety. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a church or, um, you know, in a, in a church that you can't get support for an unsafe situation like domestic violence, like you had to flee in the middle of the night Mm-hmm. with your children knowing that that was the point at which you had to get out mm-hmm. what would a better way have been what what do churches need to do to be safer for women like you and I guess there's two questions and what do women 
like what would you tell people about their personal safety if they're recognizing maybe I'm in a situation I need to get out of here how do I do it the right way big questions boom go yeah well the first one I have to admit having some pessimism that it's possible Mm -hmm. um because I don't see churches taking the health of women and the safety of women very seriously. And it does matter what they say day after day after day. And then the subliminal messages that they're conveying, um, it does help to not empower assholes, you know, and to call men on their crap that, Mm -hmm. but the church has to be willing to do that. And, um, (laughs) if we're, if we're looking at a fundamentalist patriarchal situation, that isn't the case. Mm -hmm. Um, so if a woman is in that situation and she's worried about her personal safety, um, the thing that I always wish I could tell younger me is tell anyone, even if it's the neighbor. I w- I didn't tell anyone. My parents didn't know. And I lived yeah. two blocks away for most of my marriage. Yeah. Tell anyone, because if it comes out and you're wrong, you have a conversation. Yeah. Maybe you get some help for some, I don't know yeah. what, paranoia. What's the worst case scenario? Yeah. But chances are, if you're feeling that, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not safe. Yeah. So tell someone and then, and then get out. Do not, yeah. I rationalized and waited and I tried to have it my way and, and I thought I knew how to navigate it. And I was not taking full account of what happens when um, a, a someone who's that sick is losing control. When a mm-hmm. narcissist is losing control, they become more escalated. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, and so I, I miscalculated how yeah. safe I was. So yeah. um, I was fortunate. I had a priest um, that helped me out. I had converted to orthodoxy by that point. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a socially conscious priest. He's st- he does amazing work in Kansas yeah. city. Um, but he helped me get out that night. And, um, wow. and so, yeah, I mean, I, I did so little on my own power at that point that it's, it's hard for me to think about what I would tell somebody in my own shoes if she's in danger, but, but I know I didn't tell anybody. And if I had told one person, it would have made a difference. Yeah. Yeah terrifying conversation but perhaps a necessary conversation and mm-hmm. um it's interesting that you the, the the first thing that you go to is well the worst case scenario if you're wrong yeah. people you if you feel like you're unsafe you're not wrong you do right. feel like you're unsafe right so that is an important conversation to have um, if he's not an abuser he's he's gonna care that you feel unsafe and he's gonna yes. try to get you help and if you're scared and, of retribution, yeah, he isn't then you, you have your answer. Yeah, you yeah. have your answer. So, um, look, I feel like we could keep talking for another hour and a half. <laughs> yes, we could. Uh, and because there's so darn much in this. But I think um, really I, I'm looking forward to whenever this book is born, mm-hmm. it'll be in the right time. In yes. the meantime, Tia Levings on Instagram is where I found you. Um, yeah, Tia Levings writer. Mm-hmm. Yep, Tia Levings writer on Instagram. That is T I A L E V I N G S writer, or one word. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a great follower. Um, you, you know, you're a great follower because I uh, there's honesty, there's hope, there's a whole lot of content, um, but. It's actually the thing that I really like about your account is it's the everyday life of somebody who was reinvented out of hell mm-hmm. and is in a is in a really good place, not a finished place, but a good mm-hmm. place. And it's a beautiful and encouraging thing. Um, 
I think if anything, this conversation is a is a gentle nudge to be able to think more deeply about things, um, to be able to recognize in your own body if things aren't quite right. Pay attention to mental health. Um, if you were triggered by the riots, <laughs> the, right. the Trump's heat, um, you know, maybe it's time to recognize some narcissists in your life that are causing you to not feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, sadly, as we see time and time again in 2020, 2021, and I have no doubt that will keep going, <laughs> narcissists yeah. like to hide behind pulpits um, or mm -hmm. microphones or mm -hmm. You know, political policies. I'm not saying they're all bad, um, but a lot of them, a lot of them have this undiagnosed mental illness, and they prey on people who have uh, other mental illnesses like depression, like anxiety, mm -hmm. because it's easy to trigger. So, yeah. Look, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, Thank you. And yeah, this get along and follow. Yeah, yeah. I've really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, and thank you for your honesty and vulnerability because this is not an easy story to tell. Um, it's not. It's not. It's my commitment to to show up real. Yeah, that's that's what I try to do everywhere I am. Um, so yeah. I just let it be what it is. Yep. And suit that up can, and show up. Yep. Suit up and show up. Show up mm -hmm. real. And yeah. that is something that you can do because you are showing up to places you're safe. And mm -hmm. um, that is yeah. That, that's yeah. powerful. I hate to end this interview, but I need to because. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, it'll go on forever. It'll otherwise. go on forever. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I, yeah, before I sign off here in Australia, if this conversation has triggered some things for you, um, please know that Lifeline is an excellent resource. So is, uh, that there are phone line that you can talk to they also have internet chat options so it doesn't like your data doesn't get cached or anything like that mm. um you can also call q life if you're a queer or questioning person who is finding themselves at risk um, and there are other organizations that are dedicated to stopping domestic violence obviously the police is one of the first places that you can go but there's also women's health organizations there's also mm -hmm. places like uniting there's also places like quantum services here in, in in victoria so there's lots of different places that you can go if you're unsure what your next steps are but like tia said one of them may just be a conversation over the fence with a next door neighbor where you can say look i think i need some help here uh let's be delicate about it um yeah I'm in a situation where I'm not safe. That might create, might mean that they go then make some phone calls and can help you out. So um, mm -hmm. it's one to handle with wisdom and delicacy, but it's one that definitely needs to be handled. So if this conversation has triggered anything for you, please make use of these lifelines or their American equivalents. Yeah. And I'm Kit Kennedy and this is Unchurchable. <laughs>